Hello, everyone. This is Mike Lindstedt, president and co-founder of the Nehemiah Project, and you are listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast, where we replace hopelessness with hope. Today, we have a very special guest. We are here with Rachel Adair, who is the executive director of the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center. How are you doing, Rachel? I'm doing great. And of course, I am joined by Miss Laura Coley, our intake director here at the Nehemiah Project. Laura, how are you? Great. Hey, everybody. So we are um, blessed to have you in here today, Thank Rachel. Thank you. Um, just as we were talking before we got onto the podcast, I was just blown away to hear about your ministry and to hear about what God's doing through it. Um, you know, because all of us here at the Nehemiah Project are under the assumption that we're just a small part in God's kingdom. Mm -hmm, right. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's not like our ministry versus yours. Or, right. You know, we're not factional in that in that sense. Or We all are a part of what God's doing. And you guys are doing a very targeted thing. You guys are helping um, young couples, young women who have children on the way or young children already. Right. Um, and you're helping them sort of get started and teaching them the gospel and teaching them what God has to say about the family unit. And we talk about that a lot here because it's quite clear from scripture that God intended the family unit to be the building block of society. Yes. And we see mm -hmm. such chaos yeah. currently in our culture. It's nothing new. It's been around for since the beginning of time, but we just, it just so happens to be so prevalent in our culture right now. And so out in the open, the attack on the family unit, you know, the nuclear family, the, the, the one wife, one husband type of family right. is, is looked at by a large portion of our culture at large as um, a thing of the past that needs to be changed. And uh, we fundamentally disagree with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we are not ashamed to say that. Mm -hmm. um, the reason why is because we believe God knows what he's doing. Yes, he does. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. And um, we are unashamed to say that. And so that's one thing that we always um, love to, to inform our listeners of is that we trust that God knows what he's doing. And we would just do best to fall in line with that. Mm -hmm. And so today we're going to um, learn a bit of, learn a bit about you personally, how God has saved you, transformed you, learn a lot about your ministry, and kind of see how the Nehemiah Project and uh, the CPC can CPC right. That's, That's that? right. Okay, yes. good. <laughs> the CPC can uh, possibly work together in the future, but if not, we will definitely be able to refer to your ministry, and we would hope that you would do the same. If it absolutely, I think I've already sent a couple mm -hmm. people your way. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful, yeah. yeah. And I, again, it's just so cool to see God working through you know, these is. ministries. And I'm just, I have to just preface and say I'm like so excited because I don't know if you like know this, but from a distance, I have just admired you and your leadership and looked up to you so and your sweet. ministry. Thank you. And so I was like, oh, I'm so excited. I told Mike when um, he confirmed <laughs> you were coming on, I was like, I have to be on that one. I want to interview her. <laughs> yeah. So um, I, I don't know. Um, many of our listeners probably don't know, but. I'm also a birth doula in addition to being a counselor. And I, for a long time, have been passionate about pregnancy and birth and, and early childhood and, and um, mothering and parenting and had the opportunity years ago to actually work at a crisis pregnancy center. And so um, when I moved to the North Shore, oftentimes people were throwing kind of, have you met Rachel Adair? Have you heard about Rachel Adair? <laughs> you know, over at the North Lake Crisis Pregnancy Center. And um, yeah, I just thank you so much for being here. Yeah. I'm so excited. And to be I'm here. so excited to just get to to hear your story and learn more about you. So um, so why don't you just start out, Rachel, and just tell us a little bit about you personally, whatever you want us to know, just kind of about your life and, and your family. So um, I am a mother for actually just had a baby um, a year ago. Wow. Um, so my daughter, my oldest daughter is 12. And then I have a nine-year-old, a seven-year-old and 
a almost one year old, awesome. um, a daughter and three sons. So I'm a busy mama. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm actually I've been at the pregnancy center now for gosh 16 years, a really long wow. time. Um, and the board has been gracious enough to let me be at home with my kids part time and then at the center part time. So mm-hmm. I really have two worlds that I live in this ministry world and then at home changing diapers, which I think really makes me better at my job um, because I'm living the life of a lot of our clients. There are days that, you know, the first adult that I've spoken to is my husband when he gets home at six o'clock at night. Yeah. (laughs) So I understand what that feels like. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, the pregnancy center, um, like I said, I've been there for a really long time now. I started when I was 23. um, Mm. So I was a baby. I had no idea what I was doing when I started, when I took over. Um, and it was really kind of a beautiful story of how God, um, called me to the ministry. I remember, um, finding out what abortion was when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. I think I heard the word and I asked my mom and she just explained to me what it was. Mm -hmm. And even as like a young 12 year old, I, it was just, I had to do something about it. I remember thinking to myself, when I grow up, I'm going to do something about this. Mm. And, um, and I did, which is amazing. Wow. That was God yeah. kind of calling me even back then. Mm-hmm. So when I was um, 19 and in college, I was living in Colorado Springs. Um, back then, focus on the family. I don't know if y'all are familiar uh-huh. with that ministry. Yeah. James Dobson. James yes, Dobson, yeah. Dobson was yeah. in charge back yeah. then. Um, so they had a institute for college students where mm. you would go, you would spend a summer, and you would basically learn about um, just your Christian worldview and how to defend your faith in the world. It was actually for college credit. It was such a great program. They don't have it anymore. Mm. So I was living out there, and um, I heard a crisis pregnancy center director talk about her job. Mm. And... I remember turning to my roommate at the time and saying, that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. Like, that is, that's what I want to do with my life. And you were and 19? I was 19. Oh, what a blessing. Mm-hmm. So a 19 blessing. and not living a submitted life. Oh. I was in college and kind yeah. of walking that, you know, the fence of, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm also having a really good time. And right. um, certainly not really in a place in life where, you would think God would call you to anything because mm. I, I wasn't submitted at all, but right. I could still hear his voice and yeah. it was it was a moment. And so I went back to school and I called the local pregnancy center and just sought out volunteer opportunities and there weren't any. And um, that was kind of it, but it was still just in the back of my mind. Mm-hmm. And so um, fast forward, I finished college and moved back to here and um, my dad, this is a side note, this is a great parenting tip for uh <laughs> for anybody who has kids in college. So my dad made a deal with us. You get four years. Mm -hmm. And if you go over the four years, you're on the hook. You have to pay for it yourself. (laughs) If you go under the four years, you get to keep the cash. So we, um, there are four of us and three out of the four finished college early. My last brother was like, I'm fine. I'm good. He finished on time. But, (laughs) um, so I finished college early. And so that afforded me the opportunity to have a semester where I didn't have to get a real job and I could just do whatever I wanted to do. So I moved back here and I wanted to volunteer for the crisis pregnancy center. And so I did. And, um, during that time, it would take a whole other podcast to talk about the, what was going on in my life. But I was, God was really speaking to me. I'd rededicated my life. I was living a submitted life at Mm. that point in time. And, Mm -hmm. um, Debbie Wonder Jim was the director. She had been there for 20 plus years. We started in 1984. Mm. Um, and she was just 
an amazing leader and I admired her so much. And so I got to volunteer under her for about six months and then I had to get a real job. Mm-hmm. So um, I left there and I worked for my dad's company. Um, he owned a seafood company. I was like selling shrimp, <laughs> nothing related to ministry at right, all. Yeah. Um, and God just would not let me go with this whole, you're supposed to work for a crisis pregnancy center. And there's one center in the community that I live in and there's one director and that slot is filled. And so, you know, it just wasn't an option for me. Mm -hmm. How can I, let me ask you one question just for clarity. How did you, how did you know that God didn't or wouldn't quote unquote, let you go? Like, what was it? Was it just like this overwhelming sense, sense that I need to be doing something else? Or was it like when you were praying, you were just, you know, here, quote unquote, how, how, how did you know? It was just, um, it wasn't just something else. It was that. And he just, I would think about it all the time. I would mm. be at work, you know, calling accounts receivable, trying to get paid for crawfish. Yeah. And You're like, what I would I be thinking like, I wonder what's going on at the crisis pregnancy center. I yeah. wonder what, I wonder what Debbie Wonder Jim's doing right now. I wonder what's happening over there. And I just was kind of I mean, I don't want to say obsessed, but right. it just, it was like this nagging thing. Yes. Like mm-hmm. you're not supposed to be doing this. You're supposed to be doing that. Right. Right. Um, but none of it made sense of how I would Right. Cause that do door that. wasn't open at the no, time. No, the yeah. door was not open. And so, oh. um, and you know, I was at work during the hours that the center was open. And so mm. I really couldn't even volunteer anymore. Mm-hmm. So finally after, I don't know, I worked for my dad for probably a year and a half at that point in time. Um, I was like, okay, God, I just, you, you I don't know. I'm just going to call Debbie and ask her to go to coffee and just see, cause this is, I can't stop thinking about this. And so we went to coffee and I prayed, you know, if she has me in mind for something, some kind of role there, like, please lay it on her heart as well. Mm-hmm. And as soon as we sat down, she said, so you're here to tell me that you want to take over the crisis pregnancy no center. <laughs> what? I think at the That's time wild. I was like 22, 21, something like that. Did your and, jaw um, just drop when you heard that? I was like, no, no, no. I don't want to take over. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I just maybe want to be your assistant yeah, or like yeah. something, get you coffee. But no, I don't want to take over in the ministry. That's way too scary. Um, and she she basically told me I've been praying for years now for someone to replace me and I think it's you. Wow. And Ooh, I got chills. So that was yeah. like very <laughs> exciting. Well, that's how you um, know. That's called a confirmation right yeah. there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you would think, but right. it, the story goes on. Oh. So so I, I'm like, this is it. You know, thank you, Jesus. You yeah. called me. This is my dream job. I've always wanted this. Debbie and I are both excited. And so I have to interview with the board president. Mm-hmm. And um, he's actually someone that I knew when I was a child. And... um. I mean, wonderful, wonderful man, but he still saw me as a child. So mm-hmm. I did the interview and he was like, she's a baby. No, we're not going to let her take over. Mm-hmm. No, no. And so he felt uh, we needed to hire a nurse and I wasn't a nurse and mm. um, I had a business degree. I didn't have a social work degree, really nothing related. Although now I realize running a small nonprofit, um, I've business used degrees. that business degree so yeah. much. And oh, yeah. it, like God knew what he was doing when he had me mm-hmm. major in that. But yeah. Anyway, so I didn't get the job. And um, so that was, you know, kind of, I'm like, God, what kind of wild goose chase do you have me on with this? And it was very disappointing, but they did ask me to serve on their board of directors. So um, I served on the board for, I don't remember how long, a period of time. And um, there was a speaking engagement just on behalf of the center. You know, we talk at churches quite a bit and 
Debbie couldn't go. And so they asked if I would go with the board president to represent the center. And I gave a speech about the center. And afterwards, um, he called Debbie and he said, I think we've made a mistake. We should hire Rachel. And mm. I didn't even have to interview again. They gave me the job. Yeah. That's awesome. That's so um, that was super exciting. I was 23 at the time. Mm-hmm. And the plan was for me to serve under her as assistant director for a year or maybe two years while I kind of learned from mm-hmm, her. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was hired in October and by Christmas she had been offered another position with great health insurance benefits and it was best for her family. She needed to take it. And so I was solo um, after only a couple of months, 23. Um, I mean, not a clue as to what I was doing. And additionally, we, at that point in time, we had not converted to a medical clinic. We just did urine pregnancy tests. That's it. Mm. Um, but we had been given money to purchase an ultrasound machine. We didn't even have a nurse on staff. So we had this like $60,000 3D, 4D machine that was donated just sitting there. And we had to convert to a medical clinic. I had just been hired at 23 years old with like seafood sales experience. Right. <laughs> and then Debbie leaves to take this new job and I was the only person on staff and had this monumental task of converting this ministry to a medical clinic and completely clueless. So, um, I couldn't even tell you how to do it again. Like it was so God (laughs) just, he just did it. I had like supernatural wisdom imparted onto me. He, he brought the right people along the way and, um, here we are, but he likes to pick unlikely candidates who yeah. don't know what they're doing who mm-hmm. so he can get the glory exactly and yeah. that's been the theme of my entire career yeah. that he likes to get the glory and that's why he uses me yeah yeah absolutely and and that's the beauty of submitting i love that you use that expression like yeah. i was living a submitted life because i mean like that really resonates with me too i was, I was a pk I don't know if all of our listeners know what, you know what a PK is? Pastor's kid. I, was a pastor's mm-hmm. kid. I have learned that since. Yeah. Maybe. And I wasn't one of the like wild ones that like totally rebelled. Right. But, um, <laughs> it's partial rebellion. Yeah. Partial. Just right. a little bit. Just a little. It's like a toe in just rebellion. Just a tad yeah. rebellion. <laughs> yeah. But I, you adapt to this like fishbowl life of people watching you and you get really good at compartmentalizing. And I would say there's never really been a season in my life where I ever denied God right. or ever wouldn't have identified as a Christian or ever would have not had conviction. Like there were times where I just was like, I'm not going to listen to that voice because I'm just not going to submit to you. And I'm going to go like, you know, live under my own authority, but I never denied God's truth. Right. You know? And, um, and so, and he always in his grace, like brought me back. But yeah, I mean, if you look at my story, it's like, you know, I sit down for marriage counseling and I just go ahead and throw out like, so I'm divorced and right. here's my, you know, I, I'm the girl that got pregnant in seminary while I was working for the president of the seminary and got to go sit down and be like, here's what, here's my sin. You know, here's what I did. Mm-hmm. And um, just to see God's redemption of that, because yes. it was like all I ever had to do was repent and like submit. And then he yeah. does the rest of it. Yeah. And never did I think that I would be a single mom at 31 as an intake director, like providing for my family through ministry. Like what? Right. It's wild. You know, yeah. I'm sure you would say the same about. Oh, I'm a college know. dropout, ex homeless guy in and out of jail. And now here I am running this ministry yeah. with uh, no college, like no business degree, just a entrepreneurial spirit that I've had ever since I was a kid. I shared on like one of our last podcasts uh, with Dickie, Dickie Lyons. That one's coming out soon. Mm-hmm. But my first, he, cause we were talking about, you know, like how, uh, 
I forgot exactly what the question was, but I ended up sharing that like the first sort of like a business thing that I did as a kid was set up a quote unquote library in my dad's, uh, my dad's apartment <laughs> in LA. I was like, I don't know. I, th- I was like 10 years old or younger. And I put on a sign like, um, you know, books for sale. And it's not a library, right? But that's what I thought. That's the only thing right, I knew. Right. The books for sale. And I put like an arrow pointing into this apartment complex and set up <laughs> shop at the top of the stairs. Nobody came. And I was like, hmm, what did I do wrong? And uh, so anyways, that's, those are my qualifications, you know, just this, this, this desire to serve God and mm-hmm. this raw material that mm-hmm. he's shaping and forming, you know what I mean? But the whole time he gets the glory. Right, I, have right. no, I have no, like, I have no problem sharing the fact that Same, in the world's yeah. eyes, I am completely unqualified. Same. You know right. what I mean? Yeah. Like, I have no problem with that at all because I want God to get the glory. Absolutely. You know? yeah. And I think that's the difference is, like, how often do we see Christians who, well, quote, unquote, I should say, quote, unquote, you know, around that Christians, but like using God's truth or this idea of like ministry to achieve their own goals. Right. Right. You know, versus like, I don't actually have any goal other than to just submit to God's will. And so let me let me like prayerfully seek where God is moving and and, and bring my life under that. Yeah. And into that. And I, I think that's I mean, we would we see that with the my project. I can see that in just in your story of like, I mean, side note, like who at 19 is like, you know where I really want to work. Right. Right. One of those places where you have to like fundraise for your paycheck and like (laughs) meet people in crisis and like, you know, have this life that's just like totally poured out for other people who are struggling, you know, like that's not most 19 year olds goals. Right. And I wasn't really living the kind of life that would have those goals. So that's how I, that you asked, how do you know it's God? I wouldn't have come up with that plan. You know, that was definitely, it was God. Absolutely. Your story reminded me of like Jeremiah in the, in the, in the Bible where he mentions the fact that he has a burning in his bones to get this word out, you know? Yeah. And that's why I asked because I love asking people how they just knew what their calling was. Cause it's, it's somewhat different, you know, but there's always like this overwhelming sense that like Paul says, like, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Yeah. Right. Like I can't do anything else, you know? So thanks for sharing that. Yeah. Yeah. I have somebody, I always laugh because I always say God always uses Chad to tell me what God wants me to do. But literally like, because I was in the corporate <laughs> world. Nice. I know, right? Chad. <laughs> literally. Yeah, right. But sometimes it, it, it almost get like a complex, you know, when he talks to me about stuff because I'm like, wait. Right. It's just Chad or is it Jesus? Is Jesus calling? Um, but I, oh, Chad's gonna listen to this. <laughs> but he knows because I've told him because uh. I literally was I was in the corporate world before coming back to ministry. Um, you know, after just all of the you know I, I guess you would call it sin and missteps and 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 going through the process of submitting and redemption in my past. But um, before coming back to ministry, and uh, and it was Chad who it was literally like out of the blue. I'm working, like you were saying, like just working your corporate job, you know, and seeking and praying. And I was discontent, but it was like, well, I got to have a paycheck, you know, I got to provide for my family. And here comes Chad, like, hey, you interested in taking this job? And it was like, we can't really pay you um, like maybe a part time wage. And I was like, well, I don't know if you know, but I have a mortgage and I am by myself. So that's not going to work. Right. Told him no. Calls back. Same, same conversation again. I I just, he's like, I just can't get you off my heart. Like, I think it's you, you know? And I'm like, that's very nice. Um, Mm -hmm. but I'm not interested (laughs) and it's not me. It's not me. So third time he calls back. And on the third time is when I'm finally like, wait, God, 
You know, like, (laughs) should I listen to this? You know, and it is, it's like this thing that you can't escape. And then it's like, you can't, like, I'm like trying to fall asleep at night going like, why did Chad call me three times about this? Like, maybe I should go sit down and talk to them about it. And same thing with even coming to NMI project, you know, it was, it was in this season of like, I knew that the the season was ending um, at the church where I was serving and I love my church, you know, like love my church, but I just knew I could just see that I was there. God had me there for a specific season of transition for that church, for their very specific job and the need for that was coming to an end and I didn't want to go back to the corporate world but I was also like didn't have any options right. you know yeah. and then here comes Chad you know <laughs> like um calling me up about Nehemiah project which didn't really exist at the time no they were like you want to come work for this nonprofit that doesn't exist and it's basically like hey except do for you on wanna, paper you want to take a very risky um opportunity yeah yeah i mean not just a startup but a startup ministry that's like double risk with no bank loans purely purely just going to be prayed through and see what god does yeah and praise the lord and man it was like the easiest yes ever because it just was so clearly god you know and thankfully the board didn't vote against me when Mm -hmm. i had to go before that yeah they're what board when you what board are you talking about it was being formed yeah i remember the you know but anyways yeah so okay so let's talk about about, let's talk about the pregnancy crisis center tell us about actually what the the logistics of what you actually do as the executive director so um you know, replacing hope with hopelessness, mm-hmm. that's when we were talking earlier, that's exactly yeah. what we do because um, the women that we see are hopeless. Mm-hmm. Um, that's really, honestly, no no woman wants to end the life of her child and mm. hopelessness is what is driving that. They, mm-hmm. they have no hope. And, you know, we live in a country that tells a lie to women um, really at their most vulnerable moment. You know, mm-hmm. I say this all the time when... A woman comes through our doors and her situation is so hopeless and so desperate and she is so terrified that she's believing a lie that ending the life of her child will solve her problem. Yep. I mean, it doesn't, you don't get more vulnerable than yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so um, we we want to tell her the truth. We want to tell her the truth of, of the gospel and what Jesus says mm-hmm. and um, be a place of hope and, and healing for not just women, but families facing an unplanned pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, or just a crisis situation. And so we do that through a variety of services. Um, I guess I'll start talking about medical first. Cause that's, I think people associate us with a medical sort of ministry, which we are. Mm-hmm. So step one would be just to offer a free pregnancy test. So women can come in if they think they're pregnant, we can just kind of do the test. They meet with a nurse. We do have a nurse on staff and um, just talk about the situation and try to figure out where they are. So I would say um, half are in crisis, but they want to have their baby. And then maybe the other half, the statistics change depending on the year, mm-hmm. are um, either abortion-minded, meaning they, they actively want to have an abortion, or abortion-vulnerable, meaning they're considering it, maybe someone's pressuring them, Um and so we just kind of want to hear their heart and meet them where they are. Mm-hmm. So if they are considering abortion, um, ultrasound is really our most powerful tool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We yeah. have an awesome 3D, 4D machine. And um, in fact, it's I've gotten better pictures with my pregnancies at the pregnancy center <laughs> than even at my doctor's office. So awesome. we've been really blessed to have that. Mm. So um, they can come in, find out they're pregnant, and leave a picture in their hand that day. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that is, it's just... It's such an amazing tool for them to be able to 
actually see their, not just a picture of what a baby would look like yeah. at, at that stage, but for them to actually see their child. Their child. Sure. And yeah. I'm sure hear and visualize the heartbeat and realize mm-hmm. this baby's alive. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending well, on how far along they are, I mean, you can even see like, oh, that's my nose. Like yeah. you can like mm-hmm. identify features that look like family members. I mean, it's it's really amazing. Um, so ultrasound is is just such an amazing tool to be able to encourage life. And what um because uh, I've heard some stats on American Family Radio about similar ministries and, and the effectiveness of that. Right. So if you had to put a number on it or if you have hard data, like what uh, percentage of women who come in were abortion, um, what was the term you used? Abortion-minded? Abortion-minded. Abortion-minded who then see that and change their mind. Like what would you say that percentage is? So um, if we can actually get them to come in, and talk with us and have the ultrasound. I mean, the statistics are very high. I wish I had like a hard number for oh, you, yeah. but I would I've heard say up, upper seventies is what I've heard on the rate on America. I think the national radio. average is eighty wow. percent if they see their baby via ultrasound, wow. they choose life. Um, and I would say that it's probably a little bit higher mm-hmm. with what we've actually seen. Mm-hmm. The hard part is honestly getting them to come in. Right. I remember when I worked there, people yeah. would call thinking that you provided abortions. Right. And so once they found out, oh, I can't get my abortion here, then sometimes they don't want to come in. So okay, right. how do you change someone's mind to get them to on the in? phone? Yeah. So um, usually I will first just start off asking, well, how do you know you're pregnant? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, I've taken a, you know, a test from Walgreens. Mm-hmm. And so I'll encourage them by saying, you know, why don't you just come in and we can do an ultrasound to make sure that your pregnancy is viable. And I'll talk yeah. to them about miscarriage, how common that is, especially in first-time pregnancies. Um, I think it's one in four first-time pregnancies wow. end in miscarriage. So, um, And then also to figure out exactly how far along they are because a lot of times they don't know. Um, and the price and procedure um, of an abortion changes depending on how far along you are in your pregnancy. Right. Um, and I've heard, I don't know if it's true, but I've heard that many abortion providers will actually be somewhat vague or misleading about what stage of pregnancy a woman is in. Yes. And not be honest with her. So we, um, we actually had a, a girl, she had, she came to the pregnancy center. She had an ultrasound. She was extremely abortion minded. She decided to go to the abortion clinic anyway. Um, and she called us from the waiting room of the abortion clinic and asked to speak with our nurse. And she said, they're telling me that, um, however far along she was, it was further. And you said that I was this far along. It was right on the cusp where the price jumps up. Mm. And so they were basically telling her she was a little bit further along than she was because they could it would cost more. It would cost more. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Now I'm not it's saying not that all clinics do that. I'm right. just yeah. telling an actual story that happened in our yeah. center. And mm-hmm. so we were able to say, no, we're we're correct on our measurements. Like you have you have your picture. Right, mm-hmm. right, I think right. you're being misled. And she left. Wow. wow and she God. did not have an abortion. Yeah. That's amazing. God. So um yeah, yeah, that's, you know, another yeah. encouragement. God can use anything. Yes. You yeah. know, even a girl like that who we knew when she left that she was she was going to go to the clinic and yeah. have an abortion. Yeah. And God intervened. He can he can mm. do it in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, mm. yes, that's our medical piece. Um, and then we offer services for four years after mm-hmm. delivery. So I was telling you guys earlier, um, a lot of people just associate us with pregnancy, which it's in our title, Pregnancy right. Center. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, people can jump into our program really at any time, as long as you have a child under the age of four. And mm-hmm. we we are really heavily focused on walking it out with these families because we don't want them to just choose life and say, 
I'm so glad you chose life. Good luck figuring out the yeah. parenting piece. Yeah. You know. <laughs> well, I think that's See you later. <laughs> that's one of the things the culture dislikes so much about like people that are pro-life is I think right. that's one of the arguments is they're like, okay, yeah, tell me to keep my child and then what? Right. You know, and so like that's the beautiful part of a program like yours is that you're not just saying like don't get an abortion and then leaving them on their own, right? Like there's parenting classes, there's yeah. physical material resources. Like right. tell us more about just what you guys offer. So um, during their pregnancy, they can come once a month for maternity clothes. And I mean, y'all know this community. So mm -hmm. the stuff that we are giving out, I mean, nice it's stuff, I bet. nice, really <laughs> yeah. nice yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like these girls are decked out. They look fabulous with yeah. the stuff that we're getting here. Um, so they can come once a month for maternity clothes. And then we have um, quite a few incentive programs. So we have a prenatal program. It's mm -hmm. just done through videos. So it's very easy to accommodate their schedules. Mm -hmm. Um, and if they complete that, we'll buy them a car seat, which they have to have to leave the hospital. Mm -hmm. Then we have a parenting um, program that's also done through videos. If they complete that, we'll buy them a portable crib for their baby to sleep in. So those are two key items. Mm -hmm. um, right. It just keeps them coming in the door yeah. um, a lot during the pregnancy. We want to see yeah. them as much as we can. Yeah. And then the only requirement is just when they do come in, they can't just get free clothes. They have to sit down and visit with us. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so... We kind of call that the the bait to get them through the doors um, yeah. in order for us to be able to do ministry and relationship building. So yeah. that's really, I mean, that is the meat and potatoes of our ministry. That's where we're sharing the gospel. That's where we're mm -hmm. praying with them. That's where we're um, hopefully rolling them into becoming counseling clients. We do have a, a counselor on staff and she does biblical counseling. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're wanting them to, maybe address some of the issues that led to the situation that they're right. in in mm -hmm. the first place. And then also, you know, from an evangelism perspective, so everybody remembers the moment, if you're a parent, you, I mean, you remember that moment. It is like life-changing, life-altering, yeah. a baby is coming on the scene. And so you're inspired. You're inspired to change your life, to change yeah. your whole life, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. regardless of what the situation is. Mm -hmm. It's this watershed moment. Mm -hmm. And so if we can come in with the gospel mm -hmm. at that moment and they experience Jesus at that moment, mm -hmm. it's, they're so motivated to change because the mm -hmm. baby's coming and now they have, they have the power. Jesus is the power to actually yeah. make the change. Right. And so yeah. we we're in such a unique position from an evangelism perspective right. to yeah. get to share that right. that moment with people. Mm -hmm. I do have one question, uh, and you may have answered this already, but you said when people are in crisis, they can come. And so what is that definition of, quote, unquote, in crisis, Joe, just, just to be clear? It's really anything. If you okay. if your heart feels like it's in crisis, then sure. yeah, and, and no, we it, don't it, have like, um, yeah, we don't really have like a questionnaire that you have to fill out yeah. to meet like the criteria of crisis. So okay. it's, if you're struggling, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. really it. And I mean, it's, you, you name the story, we've heard it. Yeah. Um, and also our, um, our clients aren't all young. A mm. lot of them are, but we've had women in their forties who are mm. maybe, um, have had their children and are divorced and maybe have a one night stand and they end up pregnant and, that is very much a crisis in their life as well. So in any given year, our youngest is usually 14, sadly. We've had a little bit younger, but, um, mm. and then the oldest is, you know, 45. Mm -hmm. So you name the story, we've, we've heard it. And so yeah. anybody who just, anybody who needs help. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you, so I, I kind of heard you use the word incentive a lot. And so um, I'm assuming based off that, that, that all your services are free. 
Yes, okay. all of our services are free. Um, and then the four years that follow up. Mm-hmm. So I've talked about the maternity clothing during pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But then after pregnancy, obviously the counseling continues mm-hmm. um, if they're willing. And that's, you know, hour-long individual therapy sessions free of charge. Um, mm-hmm. But then additionally, they can come once a month for baby items. So diapers, wipes, food, formula, clothing. Again, it comes from this community. Mm-hmm. There's such abundance here. So mm-hmm. really nice stuff that we're able to give out. Um and then also dads can come as well. So mm-hmm. that's really a, um area of our ministry that I would like to grow. Mm-hmm. We're a staff of women. I think we would need to have a man on staff to do it mm-hmm. really well. And that's something we're praying about in the future. Yeah. But um, if the dad comes once a month and the mom comes once a month, they have separate appointments. They both have to sit down and kind of talk with us, but they get double the items. Mm-hmm. So that's been neat to see. Yeah. Um, what we've started to see once we started that is families coming in together that's awesome which before it was always the the mom coming in alone single mom single mom single mom even if there was a dad involved and now we're seeing them come together Mm -hmm. um and that just really warms my heart because family restoration is is really the ultimate yeah the ultimate goal yeah that's a good transition point too because i know we've talked a lot about what you guys do but i wanted to just give you the opportunity to speak directly to what your main mission is um, as the North Lake CPC, what, if you had to put it into like one sentence, what would you say your main mission is? So um, first and foremost, I mean, in our actual mission statement, it's sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. So mm-hmm. that is our mission. Yeah, um, awesome. We're using this platform to accomplish that, but that's our mission. Um, and then how we go about that mission is really just um, being a place of hope and healing for mm-hmm. people experiencing a crisis pregnancy situation. Um, And then we haven't really talked about this yet, but we do have this whole other component um, involving abortion recovery. And that's, Mm -hmm. that's Mm -hmm. the other part. We want to tackle this issue from every angle. So, you know, for a girl with a negative pregnancy test, we want to promote abstinence so that maybe she will not end up in an unplanned pregnancy situation. You know, for the girl who's pregnant, we want her to choose life. And then um, for the post-abortive woman, we want her to experience the forgiveness and healing of, of Jesus Christ. And yeah. and we want that wound in her life healed. Mm-hmm. What mm-hmm. are what would you say, um, and again, maybe you have hard data, maybe you don't, but what what is the percentage of women that come in that are um, abortion-minded? I don't, I don't think I asked that question already. I asked the conversion question, but like, what do you see just coming in the door in this area? Is is there a lot of people here who are thinking about getting abortions? Um, so we usually see um, anywhere from three to five hundred new clients a year. A year, okay. So probably about half of them are newly pregnant. The other half are jumping in. You know, they already have a child, or they're coming from last year. Wow. Um, and then about half of the the pregnancy clients are either abortion minded or abortion vulnerable. So, mm-hmm. um, let's say maybe 75, yeah. you know, on any given year, um, okay. are either actively considering abortion or, you know, abortion vulnerable is someone who doesn't really have a conviction about the issue and mm-hmm. is being heavily pressured. Mm-hmm. Wow. What, what would um, you say that their number one justification for an abortion is that they would actually say like, this is why I'm going to get an abortion. Oh, gosh, I don't know that I could give you yeah. a number one. I mean, the stories are so personal. Okay, so um, they're quite varied then. They're, oh, yeah, they're okay. definitely varied. I mean, okay. mm-hmm. they're 
they're really personal stories. Sure, so yeah. we've seen everything. I mean, there may, there may be abuse going on. There may be poverty. There may mm-hmm. be, um, I mean, it's not, I don't know that I've ever met with a woman who's just like, this isn't convenient for me, you know? Okay, so that's, I, that's very rare. Extremely rare. Okay. I've actually never personally in a counseling session encountered that. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess I could poll our staff and see if we ever had someone who was just yeah. willy-nilly, you know, I want to pursue my career and so I'm going to have an abortion. I mean, I'm sure that that yeah, is gonna, out there, but that's say, not... It might, it might vary based on what state or what type of environment you grew up sure, in. Sure, yeah. Know? Because like South, California, so, you know, yeah. where I'm from, like that's probably, I would just assume based off of me, you know, growing up there and hearing people talk and, and viewing like, understanding how like at least the women I was hanging around were thinking. They're very individual, you know. Right. I mean? I'm an independent woman. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Go. So I, I'll bet you that would probably depending on the culture you grow up in, would, right. would, would vary. Well, I think that type of woman probably wouldn't come to a crisis pregnancy center either. Right. I think good she point. would just go get an abortion. Yeah, yeah. yeah, there's yeah, yeah. A, right. Yeah. That's the thing you have That's to consider too, is that ooh, there are other options in the yeah. community that people can just go straight to, you know, getting the care. Unfortunately, it's yeah. so available. Right. Yeah. You know, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. 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 But I do think that that is kind of like a good transition point for kind of getting at the, the meat of, what I was hoping to kind of dig into today, because this is where we, you know, at Nehemiah Project, what we get excited about is looking at the heart behind these issues yeah. and right. being able to apply the truth of scripture because that's where freedom really comes from. Right. And so it is so, like Mike was saying earlier, it's so encouraging to just hear, uh, you know, of another ministry in our community because clearly God called us here. You know, if you know Mike's story of like how he ended up in, you know, on the North Shore of like Louisiana, it's like clearly God like gave him a heart for this area and I'm not from here either. And so like to hear another ministry that has a heart for the North shore and like wanting to share the gospel and, and see the fruit of mm. the biblical truth um, in our community is so encouraging. And, um, and I, I also know that even if it's a woman who, um, or a, a man who hasn't been through your doors, right? That the issues that you're seeing and that you're hearing, the stories that you're hearing are a, a representation of our whole community and right. the things that people are going through and, and wrestling with in their own hearts and minds. And so um, I just wanted to take some time to kind of talk about what you see as um, kind of the, the heart issues behind some of the stuff that you guys are facing. Yeah. Um, I know you said previously you talked about just the lies that, that women come in believing, right, about right. their pregnancies. But how do you see that um, that the issue of, like, unplanned pregnancy shapes the way that a woman views herself and God? Well, hmm. you know, Satan is always looking for ways to define us. Hmm. Because if our identity is not... Well, if our identity is solidly in Christ, then we're untouchable. Mm-hmm. You know, what can man do to us? What can Satan mm-hmm. do to us? Mm-hmm. If we know who we are in Christ, right. then... Eight. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when a woman has uh, that in her backstory, I mean, Satan just wants to define her by it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's an unplanned pregnancy or it's sexual brokenness or it's an abortion, he wants to take that you know, you did this and therefore you are this Mm -hmm. and define her by that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the lie of abortion. So for that woman, let's say she's pregnant she's ashamed of her pregnancy and the lie of abortion comes in and says, well, you can make this go away. Mm -hmm. Make the shame go away. Mm -hmm. Just let's just have an abortion. And then nobody has to know about this. And then Mm. what, what does he do? Well, now he's defining her by 
the unplanned pregnancy that she knows happened and now this secret abortion that she's been carrying around for years and years and years. Yeah, the shame doesn't go away, it just grows. No, it just grows. Yeah. It mm-hmm. compounds. And mm-hmm. um, and so we see that. We see um, women defined by brokenness in their lives, and that's what you guys see. It's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a different a different variety. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Chad and I were talking yesterday about um, just a difficult situation and, um, you know, he, he kind of, kind of jokingly, we always say everything comes back to worship. Um, but he says it so often that it almost becomes a joke, right? Know? Like, um, yeah. but it's true. And he, he said yesterday, he was like, I think I'm going to replace the term mental, mental illness with worshipfully sick oh. because, <laughs> but it's like, it's so true because I think like, if you look at the circumstances that lead anybody into crisis it's it's really just different manifestations of the same problem right yeah. which is i'm seeking worth i'm seeking identity i mean look at like you were saying the woman who comes in who's afraid that she's that she might be pregnant and she's mm-hmm. not well then there's a, there's the opportunity to have the conversation of like what is it that actually brought you here right yeah. what are you actually seeking you right know, oh my gosh i've been there i've been there of like this love that i'm looking for in these relationships is actually destroying me right and it's never gonna fill me up and yet i came in here and now i'm relieved but i could walk right out the door and go right back into the exact same pattern the same exact lifestyle that led me there in the first place if i'm not dealing with the heart issue right of like what i'm actually seeking and looking to for worth right yeah i remember one time i um i was meeting with a teenage girl and her test was negative and when i told her it was negative she seemed almost disappointed when mm-hmm. she's a teenager. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of just sensed it. And I said, are you, are you disappointed that this is negative? And she said a little bit. And, and I said, why? Mm-hmm. And she said, I just thought if I had a baby that I would, I would have somebody to love me and mm-hmm. somebody to love back. And mm-hmm. she's a teenage girl. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, I was, it was very insightful of her to recognize that and we were mm-hmm. able to talk about it. But, um, you know, it's exactly what you were saying. Yeah. You know, whether the test is negative or positive, just looking for identity and love outside mm-hmm. of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically our first step in our process. You know, our, our process is fourfold, but the first step is understanding the heart of the person, right? And they, right. Do, they do that by pricking, asking questions that prick the, whole, the heart, you know? Right. Um, and then when we get to the root of that, then it's, you know, this is where this, this is where scripture comes in at this point, yeah. you know, step number two, right. which is dismantling those harmful patterns of thinking and then yeah. replacing placing it with the truth and establishing a foundation for life on the truth. Right. That's right. solid. That's not moving, you know. Right. It's, yeah. Uh, and when you yeah. come at it from that direction, because I think, the, I mean, again, the beauty of the ministry that you do is that when a, a, a woman is is abortion minded or abortion vulnerable and and she's now receiving counsel that 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 maybe that's uh, you know the that the appeal of it is a lie and right. that there there may be actually hope for you to continue in your pregnancy that you're that you are providing that material support but also being able to be in a place where biblical truth is being counseled and taught because like what is the lie that under that is under it's buried underneath that right like when i hear like oh i'm ashamed of my pregnancy well what are you actually saying like you're saying people are going to judge me people are going to look at me differently right. people are going to call me names right well what are you actually seeking in that you know you're worshiping the approval of others exactly and others are never meant to be in that position in your heart right and that when you have that freedom of 
wow, like Christ knew that. He saw that already, knew what I was going to do before I did it and made the decision to, um, to, to die for me, to pay the cost for that, to adopt me into his family. Like he loves me and he defines me. And so now I can actually, it's not even just a matter of like material relief, right? From like, I can continue this pregnancy, but I can actually continue this pregnancy in freedom because I don't have to carry the weight of fearing the approval of man anymore. Exactly. I have a question for you, Laura. I mean, because um, you're not a counselor at the CBC, right? No, I'm not. All right, so I don't want to put this question <laughs> on you, but certainly speak to it because this has to do with with your with your ministry. Is you know when you're counseling a a, a young girl or you know even a, a girl that's a little bit older, um, I'm assuming that in some cases there might be a tendency to play like the victimhood or have the victimhood mentality. Like this is happening to me, right? Right. Mm. How do you walk the line in love and gentleness? when you need to dismantle that victimhood mentality right. and and insert or show the person that, hey, no, like there's actual responsibility that mm-hmm. you have to take in this situation, right? Like, so how do we yeah. replace, when we dismantle the victimhood mentality and then we replace it with the truth of scripture, which says, no, you as an individual mm-hmm. are responsible, not because you're pregnant, but what actions led you to this, you know, in some cases, not all cases, right? Sometimes right. it is an actual you are the victim of other yeah. people's sins. So I'm not mm-hmm. talking about that. Right. I'm talking about, you no, know, this person has actually made conscious decisions to have this happen. Sure. And feel free to jump in if you have yeah. something to add, yeah. Rachel. But I think um, that's such a good question. That's such a complex. I'm going to try not to make my answer like overly complicated. Um, but there are so many elements to that. And I think that the first one is just, I want to just call out the elephant in the room that we do have cultural double standards that put women in a position where they are the ones to bear the shame and they are the ones to bear the responsibility, right? Like our culture almost glorifies men who have sexually promiscuous lives Mm -hmm. and basically has no consequences for that, right? Like porn is totally acceptable. Right. Sleeping around is totally acceptable if you're a man by the culture standard, not by scripture, right? Right. 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 God would say, no, like you're equally responsible, right? right? But that when things do you know, quote unquote, go wrong. And and now there's a crisis. Typically, who's the one who bears that crisis, right? I yeah. mean, historically, we it's it's women. And, yeah. and I, I think we still see that now. And so it is a very fine line to walk that like, part of my role in that is to be honest on all fronts, meaning like holding all, ca- all parties accountable, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And even we, we talk about um, like you were saying, sexual brokenness. I mean, that can be a whole gamut of like, no, maybe, maybe I wasn't raped, but like, that doesn't mean I'd consented. Right. You might right? be in a predatory relationship. Absolutely. Yeah. There's a whole gamut of like what abusive relationships can look like. And um, even just pressuring in terms of like things like like when you're a, when you're a 14, 15 year old teenager in high school whose brain is not fully developed, who has an a older boyfriend who's cool and is getting right. you friends at school and is saying like, I'm going to break up with you if you don't have sex with me. The teenage brain says like, well, shoot, I better go and have sex with him. Right. right. I mean, there's not like the same level of, of understanding because where does that come from? Like it, it comes from discipleship through parenting and right. it comes from understanding the truth of God's word. And so there has to be a, a compassion and a gentleness of like leading toward hey like this standard that you're actually basing your decisions on is a standard that's that's not reliable right right like this isn't the standard of truth mm-hmm. let me introduce you to the standard of truth because i think the biggest message and and i i think which i i've kind of shared my my story before a little bit but the reason i'm so passionate about this is because i've literally walked it and so i think for me 
like when I took that pregnancy test and it was positive and I knew, okay, this is going to bring judgment. Mm -hmm. This is going to cost me my job. This is going to cause my parents to be in disapproval of me. Um, I'm scared. I I don't know how the guy that I was seeing at the time was going to respond. Right. I mean, there was like all of these layers of fear And yet I still made the decisions to put myself in that position that I had made. But like me hitting that brick wall at the time wasn't necessarily the most helpful thing for me to like see and submit to God. I think the most helpful thing for me in that moment and and, and even as a counselor at a crisis pregnancy center, I think the thing that was most helpful for people who were willing to acknowledge, okay, yeah, maybe, maybe God's standard of truth is actually the right one maybe my decisions led me to this place, then me choosing to continue to do things my way is only going to compound the difficulty at this point in my life Right. rather than being willing to say, you know what? I don't want to go any further. Like I don't want to make this sinful situation even more painful and damaging by continuing to sin that maybe there's like a, a, a healthy reverence for like let me just start obeying now. Right. Mm-hmm. Because I can't undo the past. I can't, I can repent for it. Yes. But sometimes that comes later. Like there has to be an yeah. understanding of like who God is and, and his right justice. And, 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 you know, even just like that position of, of, of actually being um, not justified before him. Like sometimes that comes later right? Yeah. versus being in a place of saying like, let me just try to respond to this mess. Even though it's a mess that I got myself into, let me do my let me just seek to now respond to this mess by God's standard and trust that he knows what he's doing mm-hmm. and that maybe that will actually bring some some relief to this emotional turmoil that I've now created in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. And um so I think that I don't know if that fully answers your question. It does. But- I, I was just sort of thinking because I mean the process can look different, but essentially there's certain benchmarks that you have to hit, which is A, reveal the error, B, yeah. show the truth. Yeah. You know, which is the word of God, right? Yeah. The error meaning what that harmful pattern of thinking is, right? right. But there's a, like, you know, <clears throat> in the uh, AA realm, right? That we're talking about addicts and alcoholics. Like there's always that like phrase, well, they just got to hit their bottom before they make their choice, you right. know? And there is something to that sure. where it's like when you fi- when your pride is finally crushed, using that example, right? Where I've Like I, I tried to get sober so many times, could not do it. And eventually I got physically addicted to where like, I had to drink or else I was having seizures, you mm-hmm. know? So there's always that level of bondage. But when the, when, when you're flattened as an individual and you just don't know what to do, like there, you are now susceptible to changing your ways. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's unfortunate it works out that way. I know, <laughs> but it actually is God's grace because yeah. how much more would I rather like fail and come to the brink of death in this life than recognize <clears throat> it when it's too late? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You know? And so I'm so grateful that that's one of the things that I think is just the mark of somebody who's beginning to mature in their faith is when they can start to be like, wow, I'm grateful there's consequences for this because it keeps me from choosing my sin, right? you know, because it wreaks havoc. Like that's the thing that we, you know, we have the eternal hope of the return of Christ and, and his restoration to, uh, of everything to look forward to for hope because of Christ. But we also do have the promise of him giving us hope in this life and through freedom from sin. And, and it may not be complete, right? It might be partial because we're still going to struggle in the flesh, but but you're absolutely right, Mike, because that's, I would think that's the goal of your counseling in the same way that it's, it's the goal of ours, which is like, 
my job here isn't to condemn you for your choices. Right. My job is to help to ask questions of like, man, like, so tell me more about this relationship. Like, why is it that you were, that you gave into that pressure? Like, what were you really seeking? Right. What were you longing for? You know, and that through asking those questions that then the person can begin to see. And then I can say, did you find it? Mm. Yeah. Did you find it? Because Mm. man, the woman I'm looking at, is seems lonely right and seems fearful and so it's, it seems like that path didn't bring you where you were hoping it was going to bring you right right and so then that's where the hope of the gospel can come in and i do I, I totally agree too with what you were just saying about that that watershed moment of like realizing you're pregnant because like the gospel entering into that it's like this different for for a woman who's never been pregnant i know and I know this isn't probably an experience that you can't totally identify with Mike, but you'd probably I've never say been pregnant, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> but Mike has a precious baby, seven month year old. Oh my gosh, okay. she is so cute. Her little red hair, I can't. Yeah. she's adorable. Yeah. but I'm sure like the moment she was born was also that for you, and in a sense, because I think I've heard you say it before, is it's like the first time in your life where all of a sudden there's like something bigger than you that you're responsible for. Mm-hmm. That that sense of responsibility will change everything. Yeah, because right. it's all like all of a sudden like oh wait. Now my decisions aren't just about me anymore. Right. right. And what I do is going to affect this person. And that's the key too with the ultrasound, right? Is like, this is a person. Right. Not just a sack of cells. But that if that person can then begin to experience that like parental responsibility, it also changes how they view God's parental responsibility of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Like their, like God's authority over them changes when they now have authority over another person. Right. Well, I remember for me, personally, and I don't, I don't know if y'all experienced this, but, um, when I had my daughter and I held her for the first time, the first thought that came to mind was, I remember my parents came in the room to see her and I just looked at them and I said, this is how you love me Mm. (laughs) like this. Mm. And they were like, yeah. Mm. And I was like, everything makes sense now. Like Mm -hmm. no wonder during my high school years, you were obsessed with my every move. Like I, I can't believe that this is how you feel about me. Yeah. Like it mm-hmm. just blew my mind. And I had wonderful parents who told me that they love me all the time and yeah. all of that. But it wasn't until I became a parent and it's like there's this part of your heart that just opens up instantaneously yeah. mm-hmm. and you have this little child that's done nothing to deserve your love. Nothing. Mm-hmm. They just right. are sitting there, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and yet you have just this tremendous amount of love instantaneously that, you know, could never be taken away. I mean, there's nothing that that baby could do or say or to earn that love or to lose that love. It's just there. Mm -hmm. And that's how God loves us. And so just that whole experience to Mm -hmm. understand God's love in Mm -hmm. a way that you, you just, as his child. Yeah. yeah, Mm -hmm. As his child. And, and to know that, that I was loved that way by my mom and dad was just an amazing thing. And it changes you. Right. It does. So um, I guess kind of final question to start wrapping things up. And uh, I know this might be putting you on the spot a little bit. So if you need a beat to think about it, okay, it's cool. I have another question. Oh, okay. So just kidding. Okay. Two final questions. Question, yeah. <laughs> you, do you want to ask yours first? Sure. Yeah. Because okay. it's, it's not like an ender question. Okay. 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 But, you know, I, I'm sure, I know for a fact that we have uh, uh, adults listening to this that have kids, young kids. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also, you know, people that don't have kids that want kids at some point. And so 
since Mandeville is a, 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 a town and this area is, a, is, is an area that has a lot of high school students, mm -hmm. what are some practical tips? And I mean, either one of you guys, uh, ladies can answer this, but what are some practical tips? Like, you know, if you see X behavior occurring in your young daughter, right, mm -hmm. at home, how can you approach it? Or, or is, how, let me rephrase, how can you identify behavior that's leading them down a path that could potentially land them in your pregnancy center? Mm -hmm. How do you identify that? And then what are some practical tips within the family to handle that and sort of stop it before it happens? Mm. Man, that's a good That's one. a whole other podcast too. I know. Right. That right. probably Just is a whole other podcast. Stuff and we'll have yeah. another um, one. We'll have, we will do another one. Yeah. Well, so we'll I, I have a 12 year old daughter, so I'm like on Coming the cusp that, of approaching yeah. this yes. in my own parenting. So I'm not speaking from experience, but this is my, my plan. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you know, the number one with teenagers it seems like the number one driving factor for girls who are sexually active is they're they're looking to feel fill some kind of hole that has not been filled by their own father. Mm -hmm. And so, um, moms, you have a you have a very strong role with your daughters, you know, to teach them about about purity and you know how to behave and all of that. But dads, I mean, mm -hmm. you have so much power. I mean. Most of the girls that we see do not have a strong father figure, right? Um, hmm. And so they're they're just looking for that male affirmation mm -hmm. elsewhere. And mm -hmm. so if they meet a guy and they've got that hole and he seems to fill it and he wants to have sex, then hmm. they're gonna have sex because they want to keep that that hole in their heart filled. By yeah. um, so dads just try not to allow that void to be there in in your daughter's lives. Oh, that's yeah. probably the number one I do, yeah, thing I, I could say. I love that mm. you went there because that is, and that's I love that you guys offer parenting support to the whole family too. Mm. Because there is a vacuum, I think, of just like not like there. I I do think that there is a kind of a response and a call in general and culture of like men step up and like father, but like mm -hmm. if you didn't have a father, like you don't you don't necessarily know how to do that. Right. You know, right. and even just, um, I mean, like literally, so sorry, this is like slightly off topic, but yesterday, um, so I, I'm, um, I'm, getting married in October. Oh, congratulations. Whoa, breaking news. Hold wow. on. Mike reacts like Let this every time. It's not <laughs> I do it every single time. <laughs> <laughs> so exciting. Uh, thank you. I'm so excited. But my wonderful, wonderful You fiance, are blushing right now. I know. Every time. <laughs> I do it every time. You're supposed to blush. I can't. It's just when Mike gets all excited like this, I'm like, oh my gosh. I hope Ben's but listening right he now. He probably will be. Oh, but anyways, so, but Ben did not have a father figure. Mm -hmm. And um, he grew up, he has a crazy story of like literally like, you know, uh, probably borderline alcoholic, like before he hit 10 years old, smoking crack at 11 in, in wow. jail by 13, like on the streets, just like addiction, difficult, difficult past, you know, so much trauma and hurt in his life did not have a father figure. And now has this teenage daughter that he's like navigating, like how to love her well. Right. And just watching him like seek to do that. And so often he will literally look at me and just be like, I literally don't know what to do. And so yesterday after he was precious, he went straight to my house after work and was like cutting my grass when I got home. And I just had a rough day yesterday. And he actually, I feel like a lot of people in my like world perceive me as like being really strong all the time. Mm -hmm. And like every once in a while, there's just a day where I'm not and like super vulnerable. And I think that's normal, but like yes. there was just like norm, there was, there was several just like normal difficulties yesterday that were just kind of typical. And by the time that I got home and then I like saw this sweet man cutting my grass and I just like shattered, Aww. just totally shattered. And there's like mascara and snot. And he's like, <laughs> he's like looking at me and he literally was like, 
uh, uh, you know, like not sure what to do. And I just right. looked at him and I was like, why are you acting afraid of me right now? Yeah. And he was like, I don't know. And then he just like hugged me. Aww. And then he just repeated that he loved me until I stopped crying. And it was perfect. It yeah. worked perfect. It was yeah. like all I needed. And like mm. in that moment, I was like, I feel like there are so many fathers and husbands who look at women in their lives and they're like scared of it. Right. It's like, oh no, like what do I do? And it's like, it's not that complicated. Well, the mascara like, and snot can be intimidating. It's, I will give you that. <laughs> yeah. I'll yeah. give you that. <laughs> but, um, but it's not that hard. Yes. Like right. women just need to hear you say, I love you. Yes. Yeah. You know, like women need, like I need my dad to hug me. And my, my dad is very, like, he was kind of one of those, um, he was senior pastor, but they're very, very like, kind of, kind of your type of personality, just very, like a driver and, and uh, getting stuff done, you know, mm-hmm. and like very serious mm-hmm. all the time. And like, if I had cried like that to him, same reaction would have been like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Right. You know, and I remember as I got older and now, you know, he's, he's in his sixties and he's, his age has kind of softened him, you know? And he, mm-hmm. like, when he hugs me still to this day, it's like I could I could just fall apart. Like yeah. I could just totally crumble. And it's just not that complicated. Like daughters and wives just need the men in their lives to love them, to hug them, to tell them that they love them. Right. To listen. Like when when you're upset rather than just trying to like give you a solution, like just say, like, wow, that's really hard. I love you. That's it. Yeah. It's not that complicated. Yeah. You know what's funny too is as you're saying that, I was just thinking, wow, what do you know? It's the love of the father that changes your life. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly yeah. right. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, that's that's a great sort of just way to sum it all up is, you know, fathers, love your daughters. Yeah. Right? Love your wives. Yeah. Right? And do that. Don't just say it. Right. But walk it out. Yeah. Right. And so out. I do, there's one other thing I wanted to add to that because I, I love this question and maybe we should just do another podcast, but really quickly. Yeah. I do think that, you know, that's kind of like the culture side of it. And I, I see this being a vulnerability because I think, I think the church gets it wrong a lot too, even in teaching purity and, and abstinence. Um, and, and, you know, again, we could do another podcast about purity culture and all the things that it teaches, mm-hmm. but when the church teaches a teenage girl that all of her worth is wrapped up in her maintaining her virginity right. or in, um, her body, right. Right. You are sending her a message that she is a good to be consumed by men. Mm. And that once it's consumed, there's no point in trying to go back. Right. Right. And it's such a damaging message because God does not reduce women to their bodies. And so um, I think that is an important one too, that like we're not teaching you about purity and abstinence for the sake of just maintaining some some precious aspect of your body. Like, yes, of course, that's a beautiful thing to be able to save for marriage, of course. But God is primarily concerned with your heart. And so like sin is sin, you know? Um, And I think there's so much shame attached to like, if your daughter has made a misstep or whatever, you know, the goal is not to keep her under lock and key so that she can be some preserved perfectness because none of us are perfect, right? Right, right? The goal is to help your daughter or your son to see their heart, to recognize sin, to repent of sin and to desire that their hearts could be molded and shaped by God and to make the decisions that are, that are for their good because they're, they are motivated to do that, to honor God, not just behavior modification. Right. So, um, I think that would be my, the other side of it was like, also don't send your daughter that a message that her number one goal in life is to say a virgin. And then if she fails at it, she's worthless. Right. right. Well, really what you're saying is your identity should be in something else Absolutely. other than Christ. And so what is that? It's right. idolatry. Right. Absolutely. And so it all goes mm-hmm. back to identity in Christ. Yeah. And if you can raise kids who have their identity solidly in Christ, mm-hmm. then you 
they, they can avoid so much hurt because mm-hmm. they're not making decisions based on trying to define who they are by the world standards. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other questions, Mike? I think I'm done. Okay. So okay. My your final just, question. Yeah, my final question was um, just whether there's a particular passage of scripture that you um, that comes to mind in this work that you you know see applied or or just that you go to frequently in your work in these situations and um, I can go first if you if you want to take a beat to think about it or do you have no I can answer that pretty easily I mean there are several but I think the one that comes to mind at least right now Mm -hmm. presently in the ministry is that um, the Lord can work together all things Mm -hmm. for the good of those who are called according to his purpose and Mm -hmm. That's all things. Yeah. Um, Because we see a really, a a lot of hard things, Mm -hmm. Um, whether it be an unplanned pregnancy. That one's easy. You can see how God could use that for his glory. Um, But also a past abortion. Um, Mm -hmm. Do you mind if I just talk about abortion recovery really fast? Because we haven't really delved into it. Please do. Um, I think that is one of the ugliest things that we come up against Mm -hmm. um, in our ministry. It's one of the hardest strongholds to break down. Um, so the bulk of the abortion recovery work that we do is women who have come to the pregnancy center and they want to volunteer and through the, the volunteer interview process, um, they disclose oftentimes for the very first time they'll tell me or whoever's interviewing them that they have had an abortion in Mm. the past. And so they've never dealt with it. Mm. Um, obviously if they're going to volunteer, that's going to be triggering for them. And Mm so we ask that they do our abortion recovery group prior to volunteering. Mm -hmm. And so that's really who that is. So this is like women within the church who are carrying around this secret Mm -hmm. and they're all over every church and every community. Mm -hmm. Um, And the shame is just, it's, I mean, it's palpable and it is so hard to break down Mm -hmm. and, and Satan hates this work. He hates abortion mm-hmm. recovery because mm-hmm. once these women are set free and they really realize that that, that past sin does not define them, then they have this like powerhouse testimony that can be yeah. used as such a amazing weapon in the pro-life movement. And of course, Satan hates that. He doesn't want them to be able to share their personal story because you can't argue with someone's personal story. Mm-hmm. You can argue politics, but you can't argue right. with a woman who says, no, abortion was yeah. very worst harmful in my life, yeah. worst decision I ever made. And mm-hmm. it, there's been all kinds of aftermath. And um, and so I'd, I'd like to close on this, if you don't mind, because I know yeah. we have a, a Christian audience here, and I just mm-hmm. want to share a story. It actually happened this week. And so um, mm-hmm. I want to caution everyone within the Christian community just to be careful about how we approach this issue and mm-hmm. and very tender about how we approach this issue. Mm-hmm. You know, from a political perspective, when we're talking about voting and how we should vote, like it is right to be outraged by the fact that our government is perpetrating this lie that mm-hmm. abortion is not the killing of an innocent life. Yeah. So be outraged about that. But when we're talking about individual people and their individual backstories, mm-hmm. to be very careful and sensitive and compassionate mm-hmm. um, on this issue so a very good friend of mine, um, she has um, she had two abortions back in the 70s, and she has an amazing testimony. Um, she's become, like, such a powerhouse in the pro-life movement, and so people, you know, within the Christian community kind of know her as being a pro-life person. Mm-hmm. And so they'll talk to her about abortion, and some of them know her backstory, some of them don't, but um, 
she just went to get her hair done recently and the hairdresser had seen a video on the abortion procedure and she was righteously outraged by how gruesome this procedure was. Mm-hmm. And we should be. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. Be outraged about that. Right. But she went a step further and she said, anybody, any mother who would ever do that to their child is just an absolute monster. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, here my friend is and she's had two abortions. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there's that, there's Satan once again, just tr- trying so hard to define her by this, mm-hmm. this abortion. And she's gone through all this recovery and she has this powerful testimony and God has used it and all this stuff. And she came back from her hair appointment and she was just like, oh, it just hurts. It just hurts to hear somebody call me a monster. Mm -hmm. And again, like having to go back to her identity being rooted in Christ and knowing that that's not who God says she is. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a whole group of women out there that are are struggling against that lie. Mm -hmm. And within the Christian community, I mean, I've. I've, I hear it all the time, yeah. you know, in a group of women in a Bible study, someone will make a, a comment like that. And I know that there's got to be someone in this Bible study who's had an abortion, maybe multiple people. Mm-hmm. And um, so I would just want to encourage everybody just to be really careful and tender in how we approach this issue with love. Yeah, absolutely. And that we would just have the attitude of Christ. You know, when you were talking, I was just, I was thinking about um, the woman at the well. Yes. It's one of my favorites gosh, like so much packed in that story, you know, Mm -hmm. but I think just the five second takeaway, um, is this was a woman who was hiding from culture because of her sin. Mm -hmm. Right. And the ridicule and the shame. Right. And Christ met her in that. Right. And he already knew before he ever went to the well. That's right. Right. And when he sat down, you know, he was honest with her. He didn't cover it up, but he loved her. Right. And then he he chose not only to meet her where she was, but he chose to use her as his messenger. Right. And I think that's the beautiful part about what you were saying in terms of God using all things, that he can be glorified even when we are honest about our own wrong choices and um, when we choose to, to walk in the freedom of, of being defined by who he is rather than by our sin. That's right. Um, and that that's how the freedom can come. And there's so much evidence in scripture that that is who God is. Mm-hmm. That is right? who he is. He brings beauty from ashes. And so um, thank you, Rachel. Thank you so yeah. much for just being here today. Thank you for having me. I Thanks for sharing it. your story. And thank you for doing what you do. You guys yes. are meeting people in really hard places and speaking really hard truths. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure, like you were saying, the enemy doesn't like this work. And so coming up against spiritual warfare and yeah. and engaging in that and um, not backing down. Um, and so, man, I'm just really thankful for you and thankful that you joined us today to share your story. Thank you yeah. for having me. Um, how can people get a hold of your ministry and where can they find you guys online? So um, you can go to northlakecpc.com mm-hmm. and that's our website. That's our website for people who want to support the ministry. We have a separate website for um, abortion-minded women. Um, What's that one? <laughs> it is knowmyoptions.net. Knowmyoptions.net. Yes. Okay. So um, they're very different sites kind mm-hmm. of with different um, agendas really. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're interested in supporting us um, or learning more information about volunteering, then NorthLakeCPC.com would be the place to go. And okay. our phone number, you can call anytime. Um, it's 893-4281. Awesome. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Nehemiah Project podcast. We'll catch you later.
Thanks for listening to the Nehemiah Project podcast. For more resources about addiction recovery, suicide prevention, and overcoming other life-controlling issues, you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and visit our website, tnproject.org. If you or someone you love is struggling, don't hesitate to reach out to us by calling 985-205-3022.